Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vista. It is wonderful to, to see you here today. If we haven't met before, my name is Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. If you're joining us for the first time, we are especially glad that you joined us. A lot of us know how hard it is to go to a church for the first time. And so we hope that you feel loved, welcomed, and wanted, that you make yourself at home, fit right in here at the Vista. Before we jump in, one quick reminder for uh, the fellows in the room this morning. We've got our annual Men's Retreat Recon coming up this next weekend, January 28th and 29th. So that's a Friday night and Saturday morning. It's here at the church. We've made it so simple and streamlined for you this year. You're going to hear from some really great speakers. We're going to do a Q&A with our elders. I promise it's going to be worth your time. I, I promise your wife wants you to go if you're wondering about that. I've asked her. She wants you to go. Um, it's really, really simple. You can sign up in the comments. We've got a table there with some guys at it, or you can go online to the vista.tv slash men or events. I think we'll both get you there. So I would encourage you to try it out this year. Um, so this week, we're in the third week of our series called This is Water. And the title of the series and the concept come from this modern parable of sorts that was written by this really fantastic writer named David Foster Wallace. Here's kind of how it goes. Uh, there's these two young fish that are swimming along in the water one day when an older fish swims past them, going the opposite direction. The older fish turns to the younger fish, tips his hat, and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish look at each other, a bit puzzled. And then finally one turns to the other one and he says, What's water? And you get it, and you've heard the adage, it's tough to talk to a fish about water. Why is it tough to talk to a fish about water? Well, because a fish doesn't know that water exists, because for a fish, all that exists is water. And in the same way, what we're trying to do in this series is something very difficult, which is my fellow fish, we're trying to talk about water together. We're trying to talk about certain moods, certain movements, certain behaviors, certain ways of thinking and feeling and believing that we are all so immersed in that it can be difficult for us to see and understand them precisely because we are so immersed in them. We spent the first two weeks of the series talking about, you remember, we talked about identity, about the modern identity crisis, about how the world lost its story. And then today we're going to talk a bit about the blessing and curse, that is the modern struggle with technology. Have you ever heard a sermon about technology before? I've never given one, so we'll just see, we'll see how it goes today. I don't know if you've noticed, but things on the technology front, they are, um, they're moving pretty quickly, very quickly. I read a book this past year that was very interesting, very odd. The book was called Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow, written by this guy named Yuval Harari. He's a historian at the University of Jerusalem, I believe. And as the title implies, the book gives a little preview of what tomorrow might hold in store for us human beings. And I don't mean to freak you out, but um, there's some pretty interesting things on the horizon. Like, for example, do you know that many experts are predicting that we will kind of overcome death by like 2050? Isn't that amazing? There are people in this room who could, could never die. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean we become immortal. That's not in the cards. No, the idea is that We'll go in once a decade, or at least the really rich people will, um, for this. And eventually, it'll be available to the masses, but you know how it goes. It'll just be the rich people at the beginning. We'll go in once a decade for this kind of anti-aging treatment where we will replenish our, our tissues, our body tissues, especially our brain tissues. And then as the anti-aging tech gets better and better, we'll just be able to kind of delay death indefinitely. Isn't that wild? And I know some of you are skeptical. I get it. I was too. But for those of you who are skeptical about this anti-aging tech, 
I would just like for you to consider Tom Brady. Right? You really think it's just Pilates helping him throw a football like that at 45 years old? Well, that man's 65 and still throwing 65 touchdown passes a year. Maybe then you'll believe and you'll see. I'm just telling you. And then also, um, apparently, I don't know if you heard about this. This is crazy, but UFOs are real. You all see that? Not kidding. Right? The U.S. government, this was a few months ago, they released an official U.S. government report acknowledging multiple sightings over a number of years of large flying objects that can do things that large flying objects are not supposed to be able to do. All right, here's a picture of it. This is from a Navy fighter jet. This is just from one of them. You can pull up this New York Times article and see the video of this thing flying around. They don't know how it does what it does. And it tells you how crazy, right, the last couple of years have been that the U.S. government officially acknowledging the existence of UFOs, it can't even make like the front page of the news. Because we are so busy arguing about masks and vaccinations and Kim and Kanye's divorce that we don't even have time to pay attention to that. Right? The U.S. government's like, hey, everybody, heads up. You just need to know this. UFOs are real. And we're like, we don't care about that. We want to fight about masks and vaccinations and Kim and Kanye's divorce. Where are Kim and Kanye at on the vaccinations? That's the real question. I don't care about these UFOs or UFOs. So like I said, when it comes to technology, things are... They're pretty complicated. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. And we're going to turn this morning to First Technologies chapter... Oh, you see? And you see, we've already bumped into our first problem, haven't we? Namely, the Bible, written thousands of years ago by very ancient people in very ancient cultures. It just doesn't have much direct guidance to give us on modern technology problems. You know, the most innovative piece of technology that existed in the biblical world was what? It was like the wheel, man. And people didn't have questions about the wheel. Parents weren't going, how much time should we give our kids on the wheel? You know, like, is it an hour? Is it two hours? They didn't ask those questions. And this leads us to um, a very important thing we need to understand about the Bible. So let's talk about the Bible for a second. Um, This may come as a, a bit of surprise to some of us in the room. But the Bible just doesn't really contain as many answers as we would like for it to. Right, the Bible doesn't contain as many answers as we would like for it to. Now, the Bible does contain answers, but just not as many as we would like. It's not God's answers to all of our questions. What I would like to suggest to you this morning is that the Bible is less concerned with giving us answers, and it is more concerned with cultivating wisdom. The Bible, less concerned with giving answers, more concerned with cultivating wisdom. We could spend a whole sermon on this, but I think, we, I think we intuitively understand the difference between wisdom and answers, right? We know that answers are what? They are immediate fixes to immediate problems, whereas wisdom is the patient cultivation of the virtue required to become somebody who knows how to follow Jesus well in the absence of clear, immediate answers. And this is also why wisdom is much more valuable than answers, right? You got to write this down. Wisdom, much more valuable than answers because answers are really just band-aids that become irrelevant as soon as the questions change, right? That's all the answer is good for, a question. But when it comes to technology in particular, the questions are always changing. And this is why wisdom is so valuable because even though it might feel less immediately relevant, it is more comprehensive and thus more enduringly relevant because it gives us guidance even when the questions change, and the questions are always changing. Man, y'all, can you imagine some of the science and tech questions our, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will have to face? 
We're worried about screen time. They're going to be like, I mean, can humans marry aliens? And they'll look back on us in judgment. And they'll be like, Dad, Dad was so alien phobic. He didn't even believe in aliens. He was such a hillbilly. He didn't even have a spaceship, you know? These are the questions that will be asked. And so all that said, what we're going to do now is we're going to explore some biblical wisdom when it comes to technology. Biblical wisdom. More valuable than answers anyways. Uh, Dr. Angela Guerrero, she's a professor uh, just up the road at my alma mater, Truett Seminary at Baylor University. And she suggests that when it comes to technology, we all have four reflexive kind of natural reflexes. There are nostalgia. Okay, nostalgia is boo, technology. Anything new is bad. All we need is the will. Make the will great again. Boo. Second is enthusiasm. This is the yay technology crowd. If it's new, it's good. That's how it works. That's the equation. New equals good. The anxiety crowd. That's the, ah, you know, I I don't know. I got some questions about this technology. I'm kind of worried about it, but I'm going to keep using it because I'm addicted. But I'm going to feel guilty about it, but I'm going to keep using it. I'm going to be anxious about it. Maybe most of us in the room. Last one's the apathy crowd. All right, so this is the, eh, you know, we'll just see what the robots do with us. You know, I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be great. I'm sure they'll be benign masters to the human race. And you probably recognize yourself in one of those four attitudes. And what Dr. Grell suggests, and I think we can all agree with, is that there, there's something good. There's some good instinct in all those reactions. But there's also something bad in all those reactions. And so instead of any of those things, what we want to work to do is cultivate a posture of critical curiosity when it comes to technology. Critical curiosity. Because we want to be curious, right? Because technology has given us many blessings. right? Those of you who have a Bible in your hand, you know where you got that Bible? Because technology, baby, printing press. That's a great gift that God gave the world through technology. And so we need to be curious when it comes to technology. But then we also need to be critical because technology enthusiasm gone wild has been, is, and will continue to be one of the greatest sources of sin and suffering in the world because it greatly amplifies our capacity for sin and suffering in the world. I've shared this with some of you, but please don't let the word get out. Um, But the fishers, we have occasionally let the iPad babysit our children. I know it's terrible, but kids love her. Best babysitter they've ever had. Um, we eventually realized we had a problem, though. We were very kind of lax in our tech policy in the Fisher household, but eventually we realized we had a problem when our, our children were being turned into monsters. I know that's a severe word, but I couldn't find a more severe word. Um, I knew we had a problem when our, our, our oldest son, why? he was three, and he was, you know, his, his, his iPad time was up, the screen time was up, so I went to take it from him, and I pulled back a nub. kid took my finger off. And so we were going to get rid of him. You can't have kids biting your fingers off, you know. Um, then we came across this book that saved his life. The book is called The Tech-Wise Family by Andy Crouch. It's a very short little book, but man, if, if you've, everybody should read it, not just people who have kids. Everybody should read it. Basic premise of the book is you need to put technology in its proper place. That's the phrase he uses. You better put technology in its proper place. But technology does not naturally want to go in its proper place. And so if you are not aggressively and intentionally doing so, putting it in its place in your life and in your household, then it is going to eat you and yours alive. Parents, I don't mean to sound too heavy here, but if you have adopted just a very laissez-faire, I'll let my kids figure it out policy when it comes to tech in your household, 
then you are catastrophically failing your children. All the studies have been done. The results are all in. They're not going to figure it out. They're going to ruin themselves before they're 16, right? They're going to ruin themselves. And so you need to step up and be the parent, and you need to put technology in its proper place instead of helping and praying your children will, and they won't. And so we need to get technology in its proper place. And what I think biblical wisdom teaches us, and this is what we'll spend the remainder of our time exploring, is that technology is out of its proper place in our lives and in our household when it's creating three things. When it is creating distraction, consumption, and hurry. Distraction, consumption, and hurry. Let's pick it up from the top with distraction. If you've got your Bibles for real this time, um, turn to Jeremiah 29. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. All right, you can also read on this very big screen, compliments of technology. Jeremiah 29. 4 through 7. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible, a little bit to the right of Psalms. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Set the scene a bit. The prophet Jeremiah is uh, speaking to this group of exiles, prisoners of war. They've been taken, forcibly relocated from Jerusalem all the way over to Babylon, a very long way from home. And so apparently what has happened is these false prophets have arisen in their midst. And these false prophets are telling them, hey, man, you're not going to be in Babylon long, okay? I promise God's going God's to deliver you. And so you don't even need to unpack your bags or take your shoes off. God's going to be taking you home very, very soon. And so God decides to speak up and set the matter straight. He says, hey, everybody listen up. Don't listen to these bozo phony prophets. They're just telling what they, they know you want to hear. Right? But they're lying to you because here's the deal. You ain't going home. Not, you're not going home for a long time. You're going to be in Babylon for a really, really, really long time. So here's what I need you to do. I want you to build houses. Plant vineyards. Marry. Give your children in marriage. I want you to learn how to be where you are. And where you are is Babylon. So be there. If you've been at Vista for any amount of time, then you know that every single week I say the exact same thing when I'm setting up our response time after the sermon. Right? What do I tell you every single week? Be where, be where your feet are. And I say that every week. And I will continue to do so for as long as God gives me breath. Because I know how difficult it is for modern people to be where our feet are. And why is that? Why do we struggle with that so much? Well, there are all sorts of reasons for it. But for our purposes this morning, the most obvious reason is technology. Simply put, technology has given us an unprecedented ability to be present in body, but absent in mind. An unprecedented ability to pretend like we are not where our feet are. An unprecedented ability to be distracted. A show of hands. What was that? Show of hands this morning. If you struggle with distraction, show of hands if you're distracted right now. You don't even know why your hand's up. You're just like, oh, 
We'll take two, whatever it is. Two. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I don't know about you, but there are certain restaurants I cannot even go to anymore. I can't go there because there's so many TVs on the walls that I literally cannot have a conversation with anybody. Because here's the deal. I'm going to watch the TV, right? My, my mom could be bleeding out beside me, my wife giving birth on the other side, and I'm going to watch this replay of a D4 rugby team for the 64th time to the bitter end. It doesn't matter, man. If it is on TV and in sports, I'm going to watch it. My lizard brain can't handle it. It's too much, too great a temptation. Probably my favorite book I read this year was called uh, The World Beyond Your Head. Great book. Very interesting. And in it, the, the author documents our current crisis of attention where he says, we're constantly tempted to have minds that are elsewhere than our bodies. Isn't that true? We're constantly tempted to have minds that are elsewhere than our bodies. And what I'd like to suggest to you based on biblical wisdom is that our chronic distraction problem, it's not just a problem, but it's a very serious sin. Okay? It's a sin. Because it makes us unable to be where our feet are, which means it makes us unable to give those in front of us the attention and care that God has commanded and they deserve. Because what's the greatest commandment? Y'all know the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And how are you going to love your neighbor as yourself if you can't even pay attention to your neighbor because you do not know how to be where your feet are because you are chronically, chronically, chronically distracted. Or think about it like this. You've all heard the the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's a good one. One of J.C.'s greatest hits, Luke 10. Man walking down the road gets beaten, mugged, left for dead. These two professional religious people, I try not to take this part seriously, uh, personally, but these two professional religious people, Austin and Dave, you know, they walk by, they see him, they're like, ah, we're not going to help him. We got more important stuff to do. And then this Samaritan, right, this impure, half-bred Jew sees him, helps him, uh, picks him up and cares for him. Great, great parable. But if we were to update this parable, modernize it, right, we would probably have to get rid of the part where somebody just walks past a dying person, just keeps on going. Because it's not very realistic, right? It's not. Because we modern people, we have many flaws, but one of the things that we are really, really good at is what? We are incredibly compassionate. We're way more compassionate than ancient people. were. Y'all, we literally have what? Good Samaritan laws. You would get arrested for that now. Right? And so if you wanted to redo the parable, the bad guy couldn't be somebody who's walking past a dead person. Dude is like, oh, He's dying. Gross. I have more important stuff to do. It wouldn't happen. None of you would do that. Now, who would the bad guy be in the modern Good Samaritan parable? I'd be somebody who's just do 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 on his phone. Oh, my bad, dude. What's up, Instagram family? Going to get that third workout of the day. Follow your boy, Instagram, Twitter, live, Snapchat. That'd be the modern bad guy. Somebody who trips over a dead person doesn't even know because he's getting, his brain's getting sucked into his phone. All that to say. Technology's propensity to create profoundly distracted people, people who do not know how to be where they are, is not just a problem, but a very serious sin. It's a sin because it makes us unable to keep the greatest commandment. All that to say, you better pay careful attention to what you're paying attention to because nothing will do more to determine who you become than what you pay attention attention to or in poem form i wrote you a, a poem here's how it goes nothing will do more oh wait i need it i don't have it memorized yet <laughs> there we go nothing will do more to determine you 
than what you pay attention to. Pretty good, huh? No, it's not my finest work, but hopefully it'll help you remember. That brings us to consumption. Consumption. Technology is out of its proper place when it is causing rampant consumption in our lives. Got your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis 2, very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 2. We'll read verses 4 through 8 and then verse 15. Genesis 2, 4 through 8, and then verse 15. As this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise up from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Skip down to verse 15 now. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Genesis 2, 4 through 8, verse 15. So God creates the heavens and the earth. And then God creates this garden called Eden, which in some sense seems to serve as, as like the center of all creation. God then takes man, who he has just made, places man in the garden, and gives man his very first job. God says what? I want you to cultivate this garden and keep it. Now, I do not know much about gardening because it's, you know, it's ladies' work. Um, I'm just kidding. Sometimes I just like to make sure everybody's paying attention. Nobody's distracted. Good. Good. No, it's man's work. This is man's very first job. God says, take this garden, cultivate and keep it. I do not know much about gardening, but for what I, I do know is that if you just sit around on your butt and eat, 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 eat the fruit of a garden, but you never get up and you never do that work of cultivating and keeping the garden, then sooner or later, the fruit of the garden is going to be gone. Gardeners, do I have that right? I feel like that's correct. Yeah, that's right. I know that the cultivating and keeping must precede the consuming and eating. And this seems to be a pretty accurate description of uh, an acutely modern dilemma where we can all just sit back on the literal and metaphorical couch and just consume, 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 consume what other people have made instead of having to learn how to make things ourselves. Right, just for example, let's pretend it's 150 years ago. You're in the crib, you're going to do some dishes, and you want to listen to your favorite song. You want to listen to some music. What are you going to do? Got no radio, no vinyl, no Spotify, no Apple Music. What are you going to do? How are you going to listen to some music? Well, here's what you had to do. You had to play the music yourself, which means you had to have put in the work over a number of years to become somebody who knows how to play an instrument. You had to do that. was your only option. Or you could send Jordan a smoke signal from the other side of the mountain, ask him to come over and sing Spare the Lord for five minutes, then travel by wagon six hours back to his house. Those were your only two options, right? You had to play the music yourself. And this leads us to the very interesting observation that Andy Crouch makes in the TechWise family about boredom. Listen to what he says about boredom. In the history of the human race, boredom is practically brand new. 
less than 300 years old. Isn't that fascinating? And he's right, y'all. We didn't even have a word for boredom until the 1850s. That was the first time the word came along, 1850s. And that's because pre-modern people were never bored. Because boredom was a luxury that they did not have the time to have. You might have noticed that in the Psalms you got all sorts of laments, but you don't have any deliver us from boredom laments. David prayed many things, but he never prayed, Lord, please deliver me from this boredom. There is nothing to do. I am so bored. Lord, please help your servant send me something to do. There was too much to do to be bored. Right? You had, to, you had to plant the crops and work the crops and pick the crops. You had to hunt the food and skin the food and cook the food. You had to make the dishes. You think cleaning the dishes is bad, man? You had to make those dishes. You think cleaning the house is bad? You had to make the house, make the tent, make the teepee, whatever it is. That's where it was. There was too much to do to be bored. You get the idea. And listen to how he wraps up his thoughts on boredom. He says, boredom is a perfectly modern condition. The technology that promises to release us from boredom is actually making it worse making us more prone to seek empty distraction. Parents, listen up here. I've come to the conclusion that the more you entertain your children, the more bored they will get. Can I get an amen? Oh, Lord, help us. Why is that? Why is that? It's obvious. We all see it. Why is it? Well, it's because if you let technology get you hooked on consumption, 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 then what happens? Your creative muscles do what? They go into atrophy. You never use them. And you forsake your God-given commission to create and make and not just become a mere consumer. In summary, technology is out of its proper place when choosing and consuming replace doing and creating as the primary form of action in our lives. Don't you think about that? Is your whole life just, it's just you choosing and consuming or are you doing some creating and doing? You want to do something about it? Here's a really helpful tip Andy Crouch gives. I I heartily commend it to you. It works. Fill the room, the literal room where your family spends the most time, and ruthlessly eliminate the things that ask little of you and develop little in you. This simple nudge is a powerful antidote to consumer culture, the way of life that finds satisfaction mostly in enjoying what other people have made. It's an invitation instead to creating culture, finding joy in shaping something useful or beautiful out of the raw material of the world. This is a great tip, and I promise it works. And now this brings us to hurry. i got to hurry up and get done, right? Um, Technology is out of its proper place when it fills our lives with hurry. There are a lot of texts we could have used for this one, but I decided to use one that's very to the point. Isaiah 64, verse 4. Prophet says, For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. And so note, Isaiah apparently thought it was important to specify that God acts on behalf of who? Of the one who waits for him. By implication, right, we can connect this dot. It's a pretty simple one. It would seem that Isaiah is also implying that God does not act in the same way on behalf of those who do not know how to wait on him. Isaiah is implying that God, for various reasons, finds it difficult to act on behalf of people who are always in a hurry. 
God finds it difficult to act on behalf of people who are always acting on their own behalf. We could spend a whole sermon on this. We, we literally spent a whole series on it a year and a half ago. Uh, the series is called How to Be. would encourage you to check it out. But for our purposes today, let's just note that for all of the promises technology has made about making our lives easier and more efficient, we're going to have way more free time and downtime. Almost all of those promises have been habitually broken, and you and I now work about a month, a year more than our grandparents and great-grandparents. Isn't that crazy? It's one of the craziest stats I've ever heard. We, we do have way more free time. You know what we do with it? We work more. <laughs> That's what we do more. Um, <clears throat> in summary, technology's ability to simplify our lives is a wonderful thing, and it should be appreciated. But so often this opportunity for simplification actually just becomes another temptation to do what? To cram even more stuff into our lives to fill our lives with more and more empty calories and get stuck in lives where we literally cannot pay attention to God or others because we are always in a hurry. Right, let's end with this. I, I know it might have sounded a little, a little heavy on the bad news this morning. Right? And I hate that. I want you to know, yo, I, I love technology. Yo, I'm not even here right now. I'm a hologram. I'm in Mexico with Ted Cruz. We're both there just hanging out. I'm not even here. Working on my tan. Um, I, 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 I love the world that God made. I do. I love the world God made. And I think Christians are obligated to love the world that God made. And because of that, we have to be against anything that distracts us from the world that God made. Anything that turns us into mere consumers instead of creators and cultivators and keepers. Anything that makes us hurry our way through our lives in God's broken but beautiful world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of today. We do not deserve to be here. We are your creatures here because of your mercy. We pause this morning. Every Sunday we pause and we just remember that we are not owed this. Every breath in, every breath out is grace. We confess that we live in some uh, difficult times in a lot of ways, complicated times. We go to the Bible looking for answers, and there are not a lot of answers, but what we do have is a very deep tradition of wisdom that teaches us what matters in life and how to find it. Wisdom that teaches us when life is wrong, out of place, and disjointed. And so we confess that in so many ways, God, we have been distracted We've had minds that are not where our bodies are, and that's not how you made us. Uh, we've become just mere consumers. We just want to consume stuff instead of cultivate and keep and create. We've given up our first job, job you gave all of us, cultivate and keep the earth. And then we're, we're really, really in a hurry, God. And we've all got good reasons for it. I know we don't mean to be, but... God, you struggle to act on behalf of those who are always acting on their own behalf. And so we pray that you would help us to slow down and receive the good gifts you want to give if we can just not be in a hurry. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.